Before we do anything, let's bow together in prayer and let's just commit our time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are so glad tonight uh, to be in the place where prayers want to be made and where a place where you said that uh, where two or three are gathered, I will, uh, uh, there I'll be with, uh, in the midst. Thank you, Lord, that you never fail to keep your promises. You're the everlasting and you're the eternal and you're the ever-present Savior. And God, thank you tonight that we can expect, Lord, anticipate something of, uh, of the tremendous blessing and power of God coming upon us. We rejoice in your love and your goodness. And we rejoice in who you are. Rejoice in this story that Heather has to tell us. Rejoice, Lord, in all the way you've led her. Lord, we thank you that you're a, a wonderful Savior. The hymn writer said, a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. And Lord, he has been all of that. A wonderful Savior. We ask, Lord, tonight that as we gather together under this roof, that we may indeed just become aware, aware and conscious of your speaking voice. Lord, if there are those coming with troubles and trials, and difficulties or something of an obstacle in their lives, we ask God that you will make the crooked place straight and the rough place smooth. Father, if there are those coming with questions, then, oh God, thank you that you're able to answer every question, Lord, of those who diligently seek you. And so, Father, we pray that you'll open the eyes of the blind, that you'll set the captives free, that you'll bring to life those who are dead in trespasses and sin. Lord, those who have been infested and, and infiltrated by the power of Satan, the Satan and the serpent of sin, dear God, we thank you that Christ is a remedy tonight. We thank you for the blood that has never lost its power. And Lord, we thank you that the word of God says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony and loved not their lives unto death. And we thank you tonight we can say, even as we think of that demon invasion of earth, we thank you that we can say, the people of God can say, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We thank you that he gave us that authority when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so Lord, we ask for a covering over this gathering tonight. We ask for a canopy over this church. We ask, Lord, for a sense of a going of the Spirit of God amongst us. We will plead and pray, Lord, that he will have his own way. Lord, that we will not leave this place unchanged, unchallenged, or un, uh, 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 and Lord, uh, still confused. But, oh God, we pray we leave this place today rejoicing, rejoicing in the goodness of God. Bless us tonight, Lord, as we seek to be a blessing to you as we sing these worship uh, uh, and these praises to you. We commit ourselves to you. Thank you for your blessing. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, we'll stand and sing three songs just now. The first one is, Because He Lives.
Charles Wesley penned the words of a song that says we are the triumphs of his grace. What a war was fought to bring us from darkness to light. What a battle was won whenever we came and we saw the light. And the only way and the only word that can describe it, the only phrase that will describe that wonderful work of God in our life is amazing grace. The new version, please.
when we get to glory, we'll not be glorying in anything we have done. We'll glory in his amazing grace. Yet not I, but Christ in me.
Father, thank you for the wonderful truth that Christ in me, the hope of glory. Thank you, Lord, for the dwelling, the power, the existence, the dwelling of the Lord in our lives, Lord, that has given us light, given us liberty, given us a sense of freedom, direction, sense of purpose, and sense of meaning. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths that have blessed our heart as we vocalize them in song. And may they ascend to heaven through the roof and into the, through the clouds and into the very throne room of heaven. And may God be blessed today with the heartfelt worship and praise of his people. And, O oh God, we thank you for these blessings in Christ's name. And everybody say it. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Thanks to the band and for all those who are involved in bringing our music. Just one other thing before we have our sister Heather. Uh, she's going to come just now. There's a little booklet here, a little a magazine called Contact. Uh, dear Sister Beth uh, Spence looks after this. And so it'll be in the foyer of the church and the other literature there as well. Please see and help yourself. If you are thinking of becoming a member, then you'll see those little booklets. There's, there's a couple of them there. Take them with you. One to do with uh, the churches and... and uh, Conflict resolution policy. Take that with you and other things and uh, take this little booklet as well. And let us know if you are. Uh, it looks like there will be a new intake of members in the next three or four weeks. All right. Thank you very much. Hi, hey, Heather. Thank you, dear. I'm going to ask you to come right away. And you have the rest of this meeting. It's very warm in here. Yes. I'm about to pass out. Can we get that heat and turn down? Maybe open a door or two. Just a little bit of air, please. Through. Thanks. Thanks. Right, Heather. Okay, dear. Thank you very much. The Lord bless you. To share. Thank you. Thank you. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah. Uh, just lovely to be here. Uh, what a lovely church. Um, we've never been to Kulabaki before. We were just saying on the way up, um, I'm from Lurgan. Uh, I don't know if any of you know Lurgan or not. Uh, it's about an hour away from here. Um, and I just want to thank your pastor, uh, Trevor, for having me tonight. It's just it's a real privilege just to be able to come and share with you my story. Um, and I know we all have a story. And uh, that's why it's just a special privilege for, for you to allow me to share mine. Um, I'm just here to glorify the Lord um, uh, for all that he has done for me. Um, my name's Heather, as you know. And I'm married to Philip, who's here tonight, uh, with my dear friend, Olive. And uh, I have two sons, Luke and Ryan, and two daughter-in-laws, uh, Lauren and Rebecca. No grandchildren yet, but I'm living in hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll just uh, go straight into my childhood, tell you just a wee bit about my childhood. I'm going to stick to my notes because if I go off them, we'll be here to 12 o'clock. So, uh, yes, so um, whenever, I, I mean, I was my mum and dad. It was my mum and dad and my sister and myself. Uh, my sister Pamela, I was five, she was seven, and uh, tragedy struck her home very early when Pamela died. Uh, she took virus pneumonia. It was very, very quick. And uh, my mother, she was um, pregnant whenever Pamela died. And six months later, uh, she gave birth to a baby girl, um, stillborn. So it was just very, very tough. I was only five year old. I didn't, uh, obviously didn't understand all that was going on, but I do remember uh, flashbacks. Um, I remember Pamela and I remember flashbacks, but 
also remember being sent from aunties to grannies to, you know, I spent a lot of my young life um, with my relatives. As my mum, she couldn't cope, she struggled. And in those days, there was no counselling or no, um, just no real help. You were just sent home to get on with it with sleeping tablets your GP would have given. And sadly, my mummy got addicted to the, the sleeping tablets just to help her cope with everything. So it was tough. Now, my mum and dad were not Christians. They were, they were God-fearing people, uh, but not Christians. So they sent me along to a wee gospel hall, a Sunday school, Bleary. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bleary or not, but it's just outside Lurgan. And uh, when I was eight-year-old, I heard about Jesus and... Um, the, the brethren, uh, they're marvellous. I mean, you, you, learn the, you learn all the verses and uh, you're not left in any doubt about heaven or hell. And I remember thinking, well, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to stay behind. And I stayed behind and I, uh, the, uh, my Sunday school teacher prayed with me and I remember going home, but I do, I do feel that it was significant. You know, that was a significant time for me. Um, but when I got home and told my mum and dad that I'd got saved, I just got a wee pat on the head and said, that's great, you know. Uh, but I wasn't encouraged in any one way. So obviously then I went into my teenage years and that was it, you know, just out partying and living uh, every, for the weekends, working away during the week and couldn't wait to get out out to the discos. The coach in Banbridge was one of our haunts and the Banville and the Belmont in the Banbridge direction. So it was just every weekend where we're going tonight, you know, it was just party party. And uh, you just think at that time that that's it, you know, that's all there is in, in life. But um, when I was 25, I met David. And David and I had been going out a few months um, uh, and we were in Tullamore one night, Tullamore Forest Park, and he took a pain in his shoulder. And I remember, I never thought anything of it. And the next day I was in work and I got a call from him to say that he was in A&E and they were going to keep him for tests. So I thought it was a bit strange. Later on in the day, David's sister rang me to say that um, a consultant had rang his mum and dad and had asked them to come up, uh, that she wanted to see them, and would I come too? So I got out of work to go to see this consultant, and uh, the consultant came in and said that David had found a tumour on his liver, and they were 99% certain that it was cancer. <coughs> But obviously he had to get biopsies, but 99%. Now they didn't tell David at this stage, but they told us and it was just a, a powerful shock. As you can imagine, uh, David was only in his late 20s and, you know, it was just, it was horrendous. But what I remember at that time, David's mum and dad were lovely, godly people. They went to Annika Noon Elam Church and uh, the first thing they said was, they needed to go and get their pastor and get prayer. And I thought this was the strangest thing at that time, for I was far away from the Lord. I had no thought of God or anything. And I thought to myself, well, that'll not do you any good. You know, this is what was my thought. 
And I remember that afternoon we were all in, in the hospital with David and his brothers all came over and his sister and, and uh, David still didn't know what was wrong with him. But um, they all went home and I was left on my own with him. And he just looked at me and he said, Heather, have I got cancer? And I said, well, they're not ruling it out. And I had to try and keep very brave for him. I mean, he, I mean, he cried and I cried, but I had to keep brave for him. And when I got out into the car that night at Craigavon Hospital, I just remember just falling over the steering wheel, just crying. And my grief just all came out. But I did sense that I wasn't in the car on my own. And... Um, I just felt this, I called out, I said, and it was a bit of a self-pity type of prayer because I was going, this is awful, what am I going to do? I'm on my own. Um, and, and I was talking to God. I knew I was talking, I was speaking out and I was praying and I was I'm saying, if you're there, you know, and I just felt this sense of presence in the car. And it was as if I heard this voice just saying, you've got me. And I turned around to the back seat because I honestly thought there was someone in the back seat. And I, this is someone who had never prayed, not from Sunday school days. And I just said, well, if you're here, I answered straight away, if you're here, I'm going to need you for the rest of my life. And at that time, they'd only given David four weeks to live at that time. And it was to try and get all that, to try and take all that in, it was just, it was just awful. But I remember when I called out and it was just a burden had lifted from me. Now, David was still ill. There was nothing changed from that point of view. But I just felt a real lightness in my spirit and um, just a change. But unbeknownst to me, um, my work colleagues who were Christians at that very same time was praying for me. And it just goes to show the power of prayer. Uh, it's, it's a powerful thing. And um, I remember phoning David the next morning to the hospital and I said to him, David, I think I've got saved. <laughs> I think I have. And he said, last night I felt a sense of angels round my bed. He said, I felt a presence round my bed. And he said, I want to get saved too. And I says, what do we do? How do you go about this? You know, and so obviously David's mum, she stepped in and she sent to past Pastor Johnson. And uh, we gave our lives to the Lord at the bedside in the hospital. Now, David lived for a full year after that. He didn't die in four weeks. He lived for a full year. He had a powerful ministry. And my mom and dad got saved through David's ministry. And uh, it was bittersweet. We had a, a great year, but obviously a very hard and trying year. Um, and I met, you know, David's family became my family because we spent so much time caring for David between us all and we grew very very close after David's death um, I was very lonely I, it was very difficult because I didn't know any Christians I hadn't 
all my friends. I loved them all very dearly, but they were not Christians. And I did not want to go back to that life. I knew that I had found something that I could never, I just couldn't, it was just the peace, the joy, everything. You know, I just, I, I couldn't leave that. I couldn't go back to that other life because it was empty when I, you know, compared to what I'd had now. And, um, but the Lord had plans for me. Um, my cousin Ian, uh, his girlfriend, Valerie, who is now his wife, introduced me to Philip, who was a Christian. And he took me to a place called the Word Bible Class up in Ballygan. And there was loads of young, you know, Christians my age. And, you know, that was over 30 years ago. And we're all still very good friends. We met, you know, we made wonderful friends. And uh, there's no family like God's family. And it was just, it's just powerful. Um, so... We were, so that was it. Philip and I was married in January 1992, and Luke, he was born in 94, and then Ryan in 98. And, you know, life was so good. I, it was just, it was like my mom, I had my mom and dad back as parents because I never knew what it was like to grow up in a, an ordinary family with my mom with her mental health issues. They loved me very, very much, but it was so tough. Dad trying to keep everything together and, um, you know, we didn't know the Lord. So we were all, you know, it was just, there was just, it was just chaotic at times. But mom and dad, my mom, I had to pinch myself, think, is this really my mom? You know, she was just wonderful. She joined our local church. She was in everything and she was just on fire for the Lord. And, you know, the Lord does restore the years, the locusts of Eden, because she lost or two wee girls but she now had my two boys and they were everything to her my dad as well you know and I look back in those years mom and dad are both gone now sadly but I look back in those years with thankfulness because they were the best years you know the boys growing up and mom and dad enjoying them and it was like the Lord had given given all of us uh, you know all those happy happy years so I'm going to fast forward now to 2017. Um, I started to lose a lot of weight. And um, I remember I worked in boots. I worked in boots chemist this past 27 years. So, um, and I remember being in work. And, you know, I was holding my treasures up with a safety pen. I couldn't understand. You know, I was just losing this weight. And uh, I thought nothing of it. I had like a puffiness in my neck. But it wasn't a lump, so I wasn't concerned, didn't have a clue, felt fine otherwise, apart from losing the weight. And it was my manager urged me to go to the GP, who sent me straight away for a scan. And uh, after that, he, he discovered abnormal cells in my neck. And uh, you know, the CT scan, I mean, my feet didn't hit the ground. I was sent, you know, for... Uh, a CT scan on the Friday. I think I went on the Wednesday CT Friday. And um, when you get a, a, on Monday, when I come home from work for my lunch, I was coming through the door and my phone was ringing and it was the receptionist from the GP surgery. And she said, Heather, uh, we've got the results of your CT scan. So when you go on a Friday and get a CT and your results on a Monday, you know that it's not good. 
Um, it was very, very quick. And she said, uh, your GP wants to see you on, on Tuesday. She, she wanted to see me on the Tuesday and bring your husband with you. So that was not good. Um, and I remember, I remember going back into work that afternoon because I, I just didn't know what else to do. <laughs> it was like this just came on me. You know, it was like a bolt from the blue. This is me who never had a pain or ache, never in hospital in my life, totally healthy. And to be told this, it was just so surreal. I mean, it was powerful. And I remember, I didn't even tell the girls in work, my manager knew, but I didn't tell them because I'd worked with them girls for years. I just didn't even know what to say to them. I just didn't even want to speak it out because I couldn't believe it myself. And I thought, I don't want to tell them. And uh, I remember going into the stockroom and work and it was just, there was nobody else in it and it just this fear just came over me, just this sense of panic. And I just heard just a voice just into my spirit and it was from Psalm 19, a verse out of Psalm, sorry, Psalm 18. And it just said, as for me, my way is perfect. And it was just so loud. It was so clear in my mind. And I just got a courage then. I just pulled myself together, got out, and went out on, got on with my work that day. And that morning, I mean, going to hear that news, and Philip was with me, and he prayed with me before I went. And, you know, as I said before, the power in prayer it just gives you that strength to face whatever you have to face. Um, I was told then that I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, suspected Hodgkin's lymphoma. They had other tests to do, and it, in my neck, my chest, my spleen. Um, and they referred me to the mandible. So that's cancer of the lymph node. Um, I had never ever heard of it before, didn't, it was so new to me. Um, and I was sent over to the Mandeville, which is over in Craigavon, the cancer unit. And I mean, obviously that was me, that they were my family and still are. But anyway, uh, I went for biopsies, scans, uh, PET scans and all of those things. and. They told me that there were two possible treatments. So there was the worst treatment, a more intense treatment, and there was another one through a tablet or whatever. So depending on the results of these scans, I was to have whatever. But I remember waking up in the middle of the night and coming down the stairs, and I opened my Bible at Isaiah 43, verse 2. Now, it's a very well-known verse, but I had never read it before. I had never... I'd never read it. And it said, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. And it was like the Lord was telling me that I was in for the worst. I was going to have to go through. There was no way around this. You know, you always have that wee bit of a hope that, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe this, maybe. But I knew in my heart of hearts that what I was going to hear, that I had to go the whole hog. It was just the whole. So when we went in to see, Philip and I went in to see the, um, 
the haematology nurse and she come with this massive file about that thick with side effects, you know, and she said, don't worry, you'll not get the half of them. But anyway, it was very, very daunting. And she told me, yes, you have to have the either six to eight treatments of chemo, um, which would be your hair loss, sickness, migraines, etc., which I faced all of that. And I remember when I was going through that treatment and I was on steroids, so the steroids make you hyper. You just, you're ready for anything when you take these very high dose of steroids. And um, I used to come down in the middle of the night and you know, it, again, that was bittersweet because I had I journaled a lot and, and I, I had spent lovely times just praying and reading God's word. And I thought if I was in work, I would never be doing this because you're like on a hamster wheel, you're going, and the Lord just took me off that. And um, as powerful, you know, just, I know he didn't give me this, but he has allowed it to happen for a reason. And uh, on one hand, I was fighting the cancer. On the other hand, I'd never felt closer to the Lord. And it was, it was, it was pretty powerful now. Uh, I started my treatment in that June, and it went right through to the October Halfway through it, I got great news, full response to treatment, and it was marvellous, and it was so, so good. Um, and back to work, and working away, which was great. So then in 2019, and that was a couple of years from I was diagnosed, my son Ryan, who was 21 then, he took appendicitis. And he was brought into A&E, and A&E being the way it is now, he was 24 hours in A&E, his appendix burst. Um, he ended up with, he got home, and on the Monday, back in by the end of the week with sepsis, very, very ill, fighting, it was, it was a, a terrible, terrible time. But um, whenever he got home and got through all of that, <clears throat> he, got a, he got a phone call from the bile consultant and I just, just real random phone call from this consultant who wanted to see him. And again, it was, it was Friday afternoon and they just said, uh, bring your parents. Because he was so young, bring your parents. Well, well, this was worse than anything that I had faced so far, your child. I mean... And I just, it was just the worst weekend of our lives. I mean, and I started to read Job. I, I started on the Friday and I read it right through to the Sunday night. And, you know, there's a bit in Job where, you know, Job knew God. He was a God-fearing man. Um, but when, he, when the Lord allowed him to go through all of the stuff that he had to go through, by chapter 42... He just said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now may I see you. And he'd been through so much. And I just felt a bit like that. I just said, Lord. And I just had to come face to face with the reality that Ran could have had cancer at 21. And this was so much worse than my illness. Um, this was my son. And I had to surrender my fear. And it was a different kind of fear. Um, I had to embrace this situation and just hand them over to the Lord. Turned out Ran had a tumour on his bowel and he had to have a third of his bowel removed. 
Now the consultants told Philip and I, he just said, had Ran not had the appendicitis, had they not burst, had he not had sepsis, he would not have been scanned. And this tumour would never have been caught on and it would have seeded and it would have been too late. Now Ran didn't need uh, even a bag, it was pretty straightforward. And Ran, he, he very played rugby, I mean he, he loves his rugby. And he was recovered and back playing his rugby by the end of the year, you know, he just loved. And that was a total answer to prayer, that was a miracle. Now Ran loves the Lord, uh, he has great faith. And he just, and he showed great courage right through it. And I said, I mean, I felt so bad. He said, Ran, this is terrible. He says, well, why not me? He says, sin and sickness are in the world. You rejoice always. And away I went to the gym. The same day that he heard that news, away to the gym. And that helped me. That, that did help me to, to cope with that. But thankfully now he's well, he's doing really, really well. He's now 26 and doing very, very well. So 20, 2020, um, my cancer came back. Um, I felt lumps on my neck. And uh, just the disappointment, a real sense of disappointment and fear and hopelessness. And I had a scan and a biopsy, and it was reasonably good news at that stage because it was low grade. Lymphoma is like a blood cancer, so they do it, it's graded and um, they watched it for about a year and a half and I had three monthly blood tests and each appointment you know you go has it spread has it got more aggressive you know you have all this in your mind it's always there and uh, generally most of the time it was all good results until September 2022 I had to have a CT scan after the latest blood result another Friday afternoon getting a phone call from the consultant had to wait then to, to Monday to go and see her and she just said she'd arranged a PET scan for she said that the disease had become more aggressive in my spleen and was heading to the, the bone, the pelvic bone. So she said our next step is stem cell transplant which the thought of more chemo, hair loss, all of that again and I had so many questions for the Lord I was so and I just thought why did this come back I'd never felt so good I had done the Macmillan half marathon of volunteering in church and just outreach on a Saturday night down at the nightclubs down in Lurgan and I loved all that and I was just getting on with my life and working away but I told you earlier that I journaled and I wrote in my journal, I'll just read what I wrote, and it just said, I felt in a real place of helplessness and loneliness. One day I was so overwhelmed, I lay on the floor and I cried and sobbed and I shouted at God and I questioned him, but most of all I needed him. And uh, it was there that he met me in that place. And I felt God say, this is part of your journey. City Hospital is going to be your mission field. And I knew then that I had to embrace this sorrow and suffering because I knew that he was in it with me. I just knew in my heart. And this encounter with the Lord, it didn't make me any happier about what I faced. 
but he restored my soul to a peace and joy that only he could. And I started to prepare myself for the transplant, and it was actually this time last year that it all began. And um, I, had three, I had to have three sessions of chemo to get me into remission before they even started it. And that was very, very tough. It was very harsh chemo. I was very ill, ended up in A&E. And uh, it was just, and that was before anything even started. So I just felt so alone at that stage. And I was crying out to the Lord in A&E. And I was going, Lord, I just feel so alone. Where are you? Where are you, Lord, in the midst of all? Where are you? I mean, I had sort of got myself you know, um, ready. I'd prepared myself for, for the transplant, but this was just something else thrown in for good measure. And I got the verse, Joshua 1, verse 9. Do not be afraid or dismayed, for I am with you wherever you go. And that really hit my spirit. And in March last year, I went in and got out of hospital, got myself sorted. They got me into remission, and then um, I had the stem cell harvesting done. It's amazing what they can do, you know. It's just so good. I had four million stem cells harvested and uh, frozen, for, ready for my transplant. And uh, I was called on the 11th of April to go to the city hospital. So I was in there for four and a half weeks in an isolated room. And... Uh, it was just like a little cubicle then in my room. And then the nurses, they, you know, they had to get on all the protective gear to come in um, because you're... It was, just, it was just powerful in there because the staff were my family. You know, the staff became my family and the domestic staff had to come in and wash the, the room two or three times a day. And then, obviously, the nurses were in and out. And, but such chats and... You know, there were some lovely Christian nurses who prayed with me before my transplant. You know, the Lord had the right people in the right place at the right time. I got to um, pray with some of the staff and, you know, just witness to them. And, and again, another bittersweet experience, not wanting to be there, but the Lord always brings a sweetness to anything, you know, if you trust him. And uh, I was able to share my faith with, with the different ones. So I had six days back-to-back chemo, which was very, very tough. And uh, my immune system, just, it just goes to rock bottom. They literally, Philip, my husband, said it's like rebooting a computer. They just bring you to nothing. And your bloods just go right down to rock bottom. And um, on the seventh day, then, I had my transplant. At that stage, you had a dip, and you'd be very sick. Your hair comes out, and the nurses come in, shaves the rest of your hair off, and and I'm sure all you ladies know, you know, your hair. It's it's. But by this time, at that stage, it's the last thing you're thinking of, you know. But it's not nice, and um, the lining came off my throat and my stomach, which was horrible. Um, Philip had to bring, he wasn't even allowed in, so he had to bring, you know, every Saturday night, he came down with my washing and lollies. As I lived on ice lollies the whole time. I was taking ice lollies at half five in the morning, <laughs> eating ice lollies, and they were a godsend. They were fantastic. 
I had a lot of transfusions, platelets and blood transfusions, and then my immune system had to be up to a certain level before they let me home. Your neutrophil, all to do with your white blood cells and your infection rates and everything. Um, but I, I came through it and came through it very well. And uh, got home on the 10th of May, feeling ill and weak, but through it. And you know, prayer carried me the whole time I was in there. Um, you know, the prayer of my church family. Uh, we, I go to Emmanuel Church in Lurgan, and they were amazing. And churches over the country were praying for me. And Olive's here, and her and my other friend Tracy, they set up WhatsApp groups. Oh, it was powerful, the amount of prayer. And I thought to myself, I have to get through this because, you know, it was just brilliant. And I felt the power of those prayers. In my darkest, deepest days, I felt the power. Because there wasn't, I felt sick, I felt phys physically, but the one thing I never felt the whole time was fear. I never felt afraid, and I never felt alone. I always knew there was a presence. And um, it, was, it was supernatural, it was supernatural. And I wrote in my journal, I'll just read you a wee bit, it just says, when traumatic things happen in our lives, and I know each and every one of you are here tonight, and life is so tough, and as I said at the beginning, you all have a story. But even though we know God's promises in our head, you know, in this world, he tells us, he'll go, you know, I will never leave you or forsake you, and he doesn't. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, and they do. Um, but somehow, when life doesn't go the way we had planned, when that cancer comes back, when our loved one dies too soon, when we suffer grief and loss, um, you know, when, when we don't understand where God is in our circumstances, but it's in that secret place of surrender where we meet with him. It's in that dark cave where we're forced to walk by faith, when we can't see the way out, and we can't see the way ahead, and that's where he meets us. And he will give us a word that won't go over our head for the right time. Just when you need it, you'll get it if you seek for it. We have to seek for this. We have to, and you know, there's, there's nothing like being in a, in a dark place to meet with the Lord. Not that you want to be in it, but sadly, there are a lot of times when we are forced into these dark places. And um, it's like that treasure in the darkness. And um, he will restore our souls. And, you know, and that's just when the supernatural power of God takes over. And, you know, the verse that that I, I, I cling to the whole time. It was my grace, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. My grace is all you need. You don't need your own understanding. You have my grace and my strength is perfect in your weakness. And, you know, the last line of that verse, which I hadn't really read, you know, it never really hit me before, but it hit me, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And the Lord gives you a power, even in your weakest state, to 
to pray for somebody else. I was praying for a wee girl, uh, Rebecca, and Rebecca was only in her, she was just married and she was in the hospital going through the same and sent me texts to pray and I was praying so much for her and she had bowel cancer and sadly Rebecca died. Um, but it, 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 you see other people, you feel their pain when you're going through it yourself and uh, it's just that power of Christ. Um, I went through the transplant, got home, which was lovely. Great report, full response, and no sign of disease. So praise the Lord. I'm at the minute going through all my childhood vaccines, back to getting my measles, mumps, rubella. Um, I'm nowhere near through them all, for it's an intense arc. It's just a, it's a gradual thing, but getting there and uh, trusting the Lord for every day and thanking him for every day. And, uh, but, you know, the main reason why I am here tonight and I feel, you know, I, I never, ever spoke publicly before. I would have run a mile if anybody had asked me to get up and do what I'm doing tonight. You know, when I was young, it's lovely to see so many lovely young people here. It just does my heart good to see because there's so many churches now where there isn't. But I'm just thinking, you know, when I was young, I was very shy and I never, ever would have done this. And it's so good, you know. Um, but I just feel that, you know, the Lord has, for, the, for such a time as this, um, I've had different people coming and asking me to share my story. And I immediately said yes, because I'm so thankful. I think it's just thankfulness. So you get the nerves out of the way and you just do it and... You know, so, um, but the greatest miracle, and I, I just feel that, um, is salvation. And the Bible calls it being born again, made new. And, you know, we do live in a sin-cursed world, and, but we have two choices. We're either saved or we're not. There's no in-between. And our Heavenly Father loved us so much that he didn't want to leave us in a sin-cursed state. We were born sinners because of Adam and Eve and the disobedience away back at the beginning. And a holy, powerful God just cannot look at sin. So when the time was right, he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross and take everything that we have to go through in this earth on his body. He took it all and that's why he's always there for us. That's why in the hospital rooms and in the gravesides and the places we have to go where we don't want to, he's with us. He's always there because he knows. He knows what it's like. And uh, thankfully, Jesus then rose again on the third day and went to be with his heavenly father. The work was finished and our sins were atoned for, but he didn't leave us alone. He left the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our helper. He's everything to us and our job is a simple one we just need to repent of our sin and believe in the sacrifice that Jesus made and accept him into our hearts as saviour and when we call on him by faith he will come straight away and we will be saved from the enemy and a lost eternity 
And as I said, back in the Sunday school days and the brethren, they don't, they don't mince their words. They tell you, if you're not saved, you're going to hell. <laughs> and that's just it. There's no uh, easy way around it. But I'm calling it a lost eternity here. And, you know, when the time comes, we will be in heaven with all our loved ones and uh, most of all with our Father and Son, Jesus. And I can honestly say here tonight, I've lived the first 25 years of my life without him and I always felt lost and something missing. And uh, from my call on him that night at Craigavon Hospital, he came and he never left me through the good and the bad times. Never, ever left me. And Jesus said in his own words, in this world you will have trouble. Not you might, you will. But I don't want to make us all sad tonight. We'll have to. Um, but, but be of good cheer. He tells us, cheer up. Um, I have overcome the world. And that's why we have to rejoice. We have to rejoice, like as Ryan said, my son, rejoice always. Here's that hanging in his kitchen. Rejoice always. And it is a good, it's good, just uh, when you choose to trust him. So thank you so much for listening to my story. And as I said, I know it's only, it's not unique. It's only my story. And I know you all have a story. But my prayer is that you will put your hope and your trust in the one who loves you and who died for you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Heather. There's just a little verse that was uh, running through my mind for the most part of that testimony, certainly the second part, and there was this in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come on to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light and easy, and you will be able to bear. Tonight, he's inviting you to come. I, I don't know what the burden may be. I don't know what the issue may be that's running through your mind. It could be sickness. It could be relationship. It could be something on the horizon. But that's an indiscriminate invitation. Come on to me, all you. It's an individual in, uh, invitation, all you who labor. comes to you personally. But it's an incredible invitation. He will take your burden. He's already a burden bearer. He already is born away the penalty of our sin. And I was thinking that other little verse. I'll say it in the King James. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched in the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace. We might find grace and help in time of need. Are you in a time of need? You've listened to Heather's story. You listened to our brother Eddie's story last week. You listened to Esther's story. Is there life after death? That's our story. The death of a child. What is your need? Jesus says, come unto me. Not unto the Elam, not unto a denomination, not unto a man, unto him. There are folk here tonight who will pray with you. 
If you'd like some of us, I'm not going to make appeals or anything, but if you would like and you feel that prayer would be helpful to you, come and see us and don't travel away home. It's just three minutes past seven and there's plenty of time. That old rubbish in the television can go there. It'll do nothing for your eternity. Let's pray together in prayer and then the band's going to come and sing our last song. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, for the work of God and grace. Lord, how you came to your child time and time again, Lord, and you made your presence known to her. Lord, we think of these that we spoke of in, in Matthew chapter 11, who, who were burdened and heavy laden, yes, with the religious traditions of society and the religion that they followed in those days. But Lord, just as we, are up, we see people burdened, uh, burdened down with religions, we see them burdened down with, with, with hurts and, and issues that crowd in around us. Lord, we thank you that same Savior offers that same invitation to all who will call on his name. Father, give courage tonight. Give determination. And Lord, give resolve, we ask, as people may make their way to the foot of the old rugged cross. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to stand and sing a good old heart-rousing, encouraging song. There's coming a day when no heartache shall come.
Heavenly Father, we are so glad that there's a better day ahead. Lord, no matter how good it is here, it's still better on before. No matter how bad it is here, it's still better on before. We thank you that you've kept the best to last. When we, when we go marching through the gates of the new Jerusalem, washed in the blood of the Lamb, wearing the robes of righteousness, cast out our crowns before him and sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Lord, we'll not get to heaven because we uh, somehow did some great ma- we're mathematical geniuses. We're not because we, were, uh, uh, we, we cracked some scientific code. Lord, it will be all of what he has done that Christ has accomplished for us. He opened up a way back to, uh, to God from the pathway of sin. And he opened up the door that all may go in. And then he says, I am the door. Part us in your fear with your blessing. And may we be a blessing to others that we meet this week. For us in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. shouted, Amen. and those rejoicing, oh, you're learning.